0: I wonder if you know someone who has walked away from Jesus. Perhaps you've been someone who has walked away from Jesus.
1: Why do people do that?
0: That's an important question. Why do people do that? I've uh, recently well, I didn't really interact with the person, but they sort of announced their, the fact of their walking away from Jesus on Facebook, someone I know. <clears throat> and I guess I would summarize the reason why, like this. Disappointment. Disappointment.
1: Some hope they had failed. Something they expected didn't occur. And in fact, in this
0: instance, they sort of accused the Christian faith of being a disappointment in general. Because Jesus came to solve the problem of sin and death.
1: That problem doesn't look solved.
0: Well, that's... At the heart of it, isn't it? That problem doesn't look solved. And each one of us on a regular basis is running into the pain of sin and death. Still. And when you run into that pain, a temptation can arise.
1: The temptation to
0: think that the promise of God in Christ has failed or should not have been trusted in the first place. I find that even talking about this is Probably creating this temptation right here in the room this morning to think what's gone wrong? How come this
1: isn't working out? It looks like it's not
0: working out, it looks that way for a very, very particular reason. In every instance, you are not looking in the right place. We are confronted by our situation every day, all day long. And that situation is a situation in a fallen world, a broken system, a thing that does not live by great a, a dead thing, frankly, as a consequence of sin. And sin plays out every day, every day. Someone has done you wrong and you've done someone wrong even though you don't know. Because that's the world we live in. And the reason I began to be tempted to doubt the truth of the promise of God in Christ It is because I'm looking there. It looks like the promise has failed. Looks like. And that's because I'm looking at my immediate situation. My attention is focused on this or that. As a pastor, if I dwell on it and dwell in the wrong direction long enough, I can worry that this whole thing is just going to come apart at the seams tomorrow. It's a worry I have probably every week. Everything seems so fragile.
1: Because I'm focused
0: on these particular things this person, or that problem, or this conflict, or blah, blah, blah. The book of Hebrews is about, a written to, people with this problem. Disappointment. The fear that the promise of God in Christ is not a true promise. The reason they have this problem is because they are confronted with a world that looks like it is about to really turn up the heat on people who claim the name of Jesus. Our world looks a little like that. at least socially in many places in the world today, to claim the name of Jesus in any meaningful sense will make you an outcast. Of course, these people worried about stuff worse than that. You know, losing their homes, their property, their lives, that kind of stuff. So if we dwell on that situation, if, if you dwell on the way the world thinks,
1: this temptation will rise in you. What if they're right?
0: So the writer of the book of Hebrews is pointing where everyone Ought to look. If someone is a Christian, where should they be looking? Because in the reality of our lives, let me say that again, in the reality of our lives, there is a bigger, more significant set of circumstances. We are Constantly distracted by the little circle of things that's happening this week in my immediate proximity. But outside of that is a much bigger situation, a more significant situation, a more important situation. An eternal situation. That is, I live in standing in God's grace showered on me as a consequence of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Now, these little things right around me can distract me from that reality, can focus my attention on th- lesser things. And so the central exhortation of the book of Hebrews, and I would argue the central exhortation of all of Scripture, is this. Pay
1: attention
0: To Jesus. In the immediate context of the text we're looking at today, which is, by the way, Hebrews 13, verses 7 through 14, but in the immediate context, at the beginning of chapter 12, he says it explicitly. Since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race set before us. Run with endurance. Are you tempted to quit? Run with endurance. How? I'm tired. I'm exhausted by the apparent futility of this enduring way. I can run
1: and run and run, and I don't seem to get anywhere.
0: Run with endurance. How? Fixing your eyes on jesus pay attention to jesus who who is jesus the author the pioneer the leader the the trailblazer of faith jesus endured no one experienced More completely, the agony of the sinfulness of this world than Jesus. No one. No one butted his head harder against sin and death than Jesus. And he endured. He is the pioneer, the trailblazer, the opener of the path on which we run. Fix your eyes on him. He knew how to do this. And he did it all the
1: way to the bottom.
0: All the way. So that even in his death, he utterly trusts in God the Father. Whatever your problem is, your problem is inadequate attention to Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus. This has been repeated in the book of Hebrews over and over and over. It is the the central theme. Jesus is the prize. Stick with Jesus. If life in this world is getting hard, don't let go of the prize. Even if hanging on to the prize creates some suffering and pain in your life, for heaven's sakes, don't let go of the prize. And so, again... (laughs) I I sometimes think as I preach through the book of Hebrews, maybe people get tired of hearing this. I don't know. But again, here in this text, he says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, and today, and forever. (laughs) That's like a... Summary of the Bible. Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food. We're going to have to figure that out. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food. Foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. Okay, not by foods that didn't help the people who were occupied by those foods. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle, literally the tent, have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp. Bearing his reproach. For here we have no lasting city. Wow. For here we have no lasting city. But we are seeking the city which is to come. Now, there's a bunch of Old Testament knowledge in that text that probably we're going to have to explore in order to understand what this text says to us. Uh, Originally, this text was written to Hebrew Christians, so they didn't need as much explanation as we do, but we'll get to that. So, when you're tempted to turn aside from Christ, in this text it's stated like, Turn to various various uh, and strange doctrines, teachings. when you're tempted to turn away from Christ, when you're tempted to turn to anything other than the grace of God in Jesus Christ. In their particular case, they were thinking of turning back to a sort of Old Testament theology. Uh, or so a mosaic Judaism, as opposed to a messianic Judaism In our case, it could be any number of things. Strange, the world is filled with nonsense. Some of the world's nonsense is in Ph.D. dissertations. A good deal of it is very intelligently stated and often persuasive. Nevertheless, nonsense. I came to Christ when I was five years old. When I was five years old, I possessed greater wisdom than any professor who does not know Christ. The world is filled with various strange teachings. Don't fall for it. How? Well, we started last week. Remember remember the people who spoke the Word of God to you. Remember those people, the people who spoke the word of God to you and consider the result of their conduct. Well, what was the result of their conduct? You came to Christ. Your salvation is the result of their conduct. Remember that. Think about that. And imitate their faith. Stick with Christ. That's the whole point. It's really that simple. Now, we could develop all kinds of systems out of that little verse that are off the point. The point is, look, think about the people who led you to Christ. What if they didn't stick with Christ? Consider the result of their conduct. You're in Christ. And imitate their faith. Stick with Christ. To me, it's quite a punctuation on that exhortation to say <laughs> and imitate their faith, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's like a statement of their faith. But it goes on. It's better even from there. It's the same. Jesus Christ is the same. He said this in Chapter one of the book of Hebrews, where he quoted that psalm we read that says, "You created everything, and all these things you created, you'll put them away like a garment. You take off, you change, you'll you'll roll it up, and off it goes. Everything, everything will be shaken. If we want to use the terms of Hebrews chapter twelve, everything will be shaken." but not you.
1: You are the same.
0: And in Hebrews, we learn that that psalm is not just about God. It's about the God who was made one of us. The Son of God made flesh, the Lord Jesus Himself, the same. And it's the... In chapter 1, he says, uh, well, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. And that statement is introduced in the book of the Hebrews with this question. Which one of the angels did he ever say that about? He said it about Jesus. The same. The same yesterday and today and forever. In chapter 1, the very opening sentence of the book of Hebrews, we are presented with the Son of God made flesh, the Lord Jesus, who is the creator of all things in that text. Chapter 1, long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. In that sentence, you have the beginning, yesterday, and the end, forever. Forever. You also have the middle because he goes on from there. He says, you appointed him the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe, carries the universe by the word of his power. Yesterday, today, forever. It's right there in the very beginning. The Word of God made flesh, the Lord Jesus, the Creator of... The Creator, in this case, The it says, you know, He's the... through whom also He created the world. The word world here is actually the word for uh, the history of the world. It's the word ages. The story in which we are all characters He created. He created the... Stream of events. In this case, that word is not about the cosmos, the universe, the physical system of things. It's about the story of things. He's the creator of the ages, yesterday, today, forever. In chapter 11, we read this long list of people who put their trust in the promise of Christ in the period before he arrived. And they trusted Christ, they trusted God in Christ, even though they didn't know the name of Jesus. They trusted in the promise of God. Jesus is the thing promised. So in the old days that great cloud of witnesses what were they they were examples to us of trusting Christ trusting in the goodness of God and the in the arrival of his messiah in chapter 12 we already read he's the pioneer the beginner the first runner and the finisher he's completed faith the same yesterday, today, forever. In chapter 3, we read this verse, today, if you hear his voice, don't be like those people who got right up to the promised land and then refused to go in. Today, go on in. In the book of Hebrews, several things are forever. In chapter 1 and verse 8, Of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. What is the thing that's forever? The kingdom of the Son of God. Uh, And then there's a big list here. I've printed a list of things that are forever, or places in the book of Hebrews where his priesthood is forever. He keeps quoting this psalm that says, you are the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, which distinguishes him from the order of Aaron, the priest of the Mosaic law, and puts him outside and around that. He's a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. His priesthood is forever. Most of the quotations In the book of Hebrews, about that are quotations of Psalms written before Christ. Yesterday, today, a priest forever. His salvation is forever also, because he no longer dies. You remember this says he said this about his priesthood said you know those priests you had to you had to keep having more priests born because they kept dying and they kept having to repeat the sacrifices because the sacrifices don't actually solve our problem but this priest his sacrifice solves our problem which he said repeatedly in the book of Hebrews and he says it here in our text Jesus sanctified the people through His own blood, suffered outside the gate through His own blood. He's the priest and the sacrifice, and He is risen. So, uh, Hebrews chapter 7 says, so His priesthood continues because He doesn't die anymore. His priesthood continues forever unlike those other priests. And He ever lives to intercede for us. And so, He has saved us once and for all. That's yesterday, today, forever. He's the same. He's the same. Now, the conclusion in chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews is, because all these things are true... That is, he calls it, a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. What's the good of all this yesterday, today, and forever talk? It encourages us to hang on to the promise of our salvation in Christ. Something we possess already, and will realize in the future. On that day of resurrection. Why do we believe in that day of the resurrection? Because the forerunner, trailblazer, pioneer of our faith already had one. That's why. It's a fact of history. And so his promise can be trusted. And the Scripture says in Romans 5, this hope does not disappoint. So we need to lift our eyes from this thing that's going to happen this week that I'm stressed out about and makes me wonder if Jesus even cares. To see the hope of His eternal promise and to remember And take this strong encouragement to hold fast that hope. Wow. Now he goes on. He says, so, don't be carried away. Don't let anything in this world distract you From that hope. Don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings. This reminded me of uh, the book of Jude, the third verse of the book of Jude, where it says, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend, contend for the faith, this faith that was once and for all Delivered to the saints. That faith. Yesterday, today, forever the same.
1: New is not equal to good.
0: In theology, there can be a good deal of creative thinking, and that's not a bad thing, if what it is doing is the development of the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. That's
1: old. That's very old.
0: So novelty... Is not necessarily something you ought to follow. Be careful. Something that isn't focusing our attention on the goodness of God in Christ and leading us to trust in Him and His sacrifice
1: sounds like a distraction.
0: Don't be distracted. Christ cannot be improved upon. Do you need to hear that again? Christ cannot be improved upon. Now, your understanding of Him can be, just to be clear. You don't know Him well enough, but you want to be getting to know Him not some strange new concept of who he might have been. But the, the, the Christ that is our Savior is not something that can be improved. He says, as a reason for that exhortation, he says, for it's good to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. Yikes. Well, let's just focus on the first part to begin with. It's good to be strengthened by grace. By grace. By grace. If you want to be strengthened, focus on grace. The Bible, when it describes growth in the Christian life, it does not describe ethical improvement, though that does occur. It doesn't Describe moral reform, though that should occur. The way the terms of growth in the Scripture are nearly always stated like this. Grow in grace. (laughs) I take that to mean something like this. Grow in my understanding and appreciation of how God has already handled everything for me. grow in my understanding and appreciation of how God has already taken care of everything for me. You know what happens when I grow like that? I also grow in my expression of love, which means I grow in my moral character. But if I jump over all that to just try to be good... I'm turning away from Christ to reliance upon my own goodness. Don't do that. So, be strengthened by grace, not by foods. What on earth does he mean by foods? Well, he's referring to the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament tabernacle. The temple sacrifices. Because that was how the priests ate and certain sacrifices you made the, you killed the animal, but then you also ate it. But he's going to make a, re, a, a very interesting distinction here. Don't be strengthened by grace, not by foods. And he means not by some return to the sacrificial system of the old Testament. its purpose was to point to Christ and it didn't actually accomplish the things it points to. It was never intended to. It doesn't actually handle your sin problem. It just sort of pointed to the handling of your sin problem, which is in Christ. So he says, be strengthened by grace, not by foods, meaning that sacrificial system. He goes on, and this shows my, the point here, We have an altar. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent cannot eat. So there's two altars. There's the one in the tent, and there's this one that we have. We have an altar that they can't eat at. Turns out you have to abandon that altar to have this one. If you stick with this one in the presence of this one, you're missing the point of this one. Wow, if anyone has to listen to that on just audio, that's going to be hard to figure out. (laughs) If you stick to the Old Testament system of sacrifices, when we have the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, then you are missing the point of the sacrifice you're making, which was to point you to that one. And so these people contemplating going back he's like are you nuts? Don't do that. We have an altar that they can't eat at. An altar of atonement for sin. And when he uses the word tent here which he uses he, he says tent tabernacle not temple because he wants to point out that the temple was a tent.
1: It was not intended to be permanent.
0: The bodies of those animals, he said, whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin. Now, he's talking about a particular Sacrifice for sin he's talking about the day of atonement. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter sixteen if you want to. Those animals nobody ate now we're getting the point of the difference between our altar and the and and uh being strengthened by grace as opposed to being strengthened by food. Those sacrifices the sacrifices of the day of atonement. No one ate. What happened to them? Well, they were sacrificed in the temple, and then the remains, what wasn't burned up in the temple, was taken out. Outside the walls of the city. Outside the perimeter of the camp in the days of the wilderness. Outside... And burned, completely consumed, offered entirely to God and God only. Hmm. That's the sort of altar Jesus' sacrifice is made on. It's not just any old sacrifice, it is the sacrifice of atonement for sin. It, it actually resolves the problem of sin. And so he says, he compares that sacrifice to the sacrifice of Jesus, which actually physically occurred outside the walls of Jerusalem. Apparently God had a purpose
1: in the very location of the cross. Not on the temple mount outside.
0: Jesus suffered outside the gate, and Jesus sanctifies the people through his own blood. He is the sacrifice, and he's the sacrifice of atonement for sin. We have a far superior altar at which we worship. So he says, don't be carried away. Let's go out to him. Let's go out to him outside the camp. And then he has this very interesting expression, bearing his reproach. There is no greater honor that can be bestowed upon you than you are in Christ. If God has claimed you and united you with his Son in his death and resurrection, if you are in Christ, there's no higher position. There's no higher position. The world can dishonor you. But you are exalted above the earth. But there's also no lower position than you can be in As a person, than in Christ. You probably need to hear that again. I do. There is no lower position among human beings than in Christ. He assumed the lowest position. And if you're with Him, that's where you went. Dead already,
1: so not killable.
0: Already in him, the subject of scorn, ridicule, what an idiot. His own disciples thought that about him on the day he was crucified. Wow, I've never been so disappointed in my whole life because they expected a highly exalted Messiah, not a totally humble one. So while there's no greater honor available to human beings than to be named as one of His sheep, there is also no lower position to be found bearing His reproach. It is true in this world, if you are His, the world isn't going to like
1: it. You see, you can't stay in the city and go out to Christ
0: at the same time. You can't stick with some other way of making yourself acceptable before God and trust in Christ is the only way to be acceptable before God at the same time can't be done one is mutually exclusive of the other you can't rely on a religious system or anything else any other varied and strange teaching and rely on Christ. This includes varied and strange teachings that go under the name of Jesus.
1: The simplicity of the grace of God in Christ is it. Let us
0: go out to Him. Let us, us, us us go out to Him. Let us fix our eyes. Let us notice the greatness of Jesus Christ in a way that distracts us from the little stuff we're dealing with this week. Here's what I discover from time to time. When I go about this week with Christ in my Focus. the little things I deal with remain little. And since they remain little, I tend to deal with them more effectively. Now that's not a promise, but it makes sense. And sometimes though, going with Jesus is walking into the fire. but you're not going to let go of the prize because it comes with some reproach. We remember that I am... (laughs) I have access to the throne of God at all times over the most trivial matters. And so we come boldly before the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. That help doesn't always come in the form of immediate relief from the pain of this life. Sometimes it comes in the form of stick with it through the pain of this life. Jesus Christ, the same. Yesterday, today, forever stick with jesus christ father thank you for this word lord help us we're we're weak we're easily distracted lord i pray for everyone here for every one of your children everywhere that your spirit would work in our hearts and souls to always focus our attention on the Savior, to trust in Him and in the promise of His resurrection. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.